If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians and verse 18, actually verses 18, 19, and 20. So we'll look at those verses of scripture. They'll form the basis of our message, which is entitled, A New Power. As you know, if you've been coming to our morning services, we are following the theme of a new life a new life that we have in Christ and all that that means and all that that involves and all that that brings into our lives as we walk with the Lord day in and day out. It all begins with what's called the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So when you have the new birth experience in which you repent of your sins, turn to Jesus Christ, acknowledging him as your Lord and your savior, inviting him into your life, the Holy Spirit does a miracle of regeneration, of coming into your life, cleansing you, and you become a born again, a brand new person in Christ, a new creation, Paul refers to that experience. You're a new creature in Christ. So you have a new life. It begins with your trusting Christ. Then the second thing that we looked at, of course, had a new confirmation, and that is once you trust Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you're saved, then you are secure in your salvation. As we always say, once saved, always saved. There's nothing nor anyone that can snatch us out of the Father's hands. We have double security. We are in our Savior's hands, who in turn is in the Father's hands. So we have double protection. Doesn't mean we have the license to just go out and do as we please. It just means that once we receive our salvation and are saved, then we can never lose that salvation. Then there's new communication, which means we have the privilege as a child of God to talk to the Father anytime. It's called prayer. And so we can communicate. It is a two-way street, not just our always sharing with him, our burdens, our concerns, our requests. Certainly that is part of it. But we also listen and allow him to speak to our hearts. And so it's a two-way communication. And then there's a challenge. Because once you become a Christian, instead of being free from temptation, the old devil may step up his attack against you. So every day that we live, when we wake up, we realize that we are involved in spiritual warfare. And the devil is constantly shooting his arrows, his fiery darts at us with temptations. And so every day we have the challenge of resisting those temptations. And then there's a new habit that is a quiet time with the Lord. Reserve some time, doesn't have to be long, but sometime during the day, any time during the day that you just set aside a moment or two, a time that you have reserved exclusively for you and the Lord. You just withdraw from the world, withdraw from your family, your work, everything. Just devote a few moments of your time every day. Let it be a habit, a lifestyle with you to spend some time with God every day in prayer. And then, of course, there is a new guidebook. The guidebook that we're talking about, of course, is the Bible. The psalmist said it was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. And so the Bible gives us instructions and directions on how we're to live our lives. And then there's a new freedom in that as I am a Christian, I'm not subject to uh, or immune to temptation, as I said earlier. And there are times when temptation comes our way that we yield and, and uh, we, uh, we do things that we shouldn't. We say things that we shouldn't. And when that happens, it doesn't break up the sonship that we have with the Father but it does interfere with a fellowship with the Father. 
So as long as I have unconfessed sin in my life, the Lord will not hear my prayers, even though I have a habit of every day going to the Lord in prayer. I must begin by simply praising him and then asking the Holy Spirit to search my heart, see if there's anything in my life that I've done that should not be there that would grieve the Holy Spirit or would, or would break the heart of the Father. The Holy Spirit will convict you of that, show you what it is, you name it, you ask God to forgive you so that there'll be nothing between you and the Lord in your fellowship with him. And that's the freedom that we have. And then, of course, last Sunday we looked at a new family. When you become a Christian, a born-again child of God, you enter into a new family that's called the Bride of Christ, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God is my father and he is your father, then that makes us brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so we are members of the family of God. And I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed by the fountain and cleansed by the blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. So we're family. We know each other in Christ. Today, we want to look at the subject of a new power. When you became a child of God, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Lord Jesus in the Spirit, and He enters your life and my life, and He fills us with His presence, with His power, with His wisdom, with His direction, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 18, the Apostle Paul said, And do not get drunk with wine. For it is dissipation. The word dissipation means excess, a waste that you just, it's a waste, it's an excess and you, and you, just, you just waste it, you ruin it. It's dissipation, he says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that you are controlled by, that you are dominated by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We often speak of something or someone filling a person having their minds filled with something. We allow our minds to be filled with something that permeates our minds and our thoughts and just fills our minds and our thoughts with certain things. Uh, for example, uh, maybe something makes you angry and you get all upset. And if you don't know how to control that anger, it will eventually just flood your life. It will just fill you. You'll be filled with anger. You'll just be full of anger. You'll be hateful and vindictive and hard to get along with and grumpy and grouchy and, and you just get angry with somebody or something that's happened in your life and it, you're just saturated with it. It fills your life. Uh, some of us are, are more fearful than others than if something happens and, and we are fearful. If we don't know how to handle and control our fear, then fear can fill our hearts. We, we just are just full of fear. We're afraid of everything. The same thing is true about jealousy. Or, or remorse, or sorrow, or pride, or love, or anxiety. We just allow these and many other things just to fill our minds and our hearts, and it just permeates us and dominates us and fills us. So we understand what it means to be filled with certain things, and the same thing is true about the Holy Spirit. 
Let me give you one or two examples from the Bible of individuals who were filled with certain things. For example, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 11, uh, Luke writes about the Pharisees and their attitude toward Jesus. And in Luke 6, 11, it says that the Pharisees themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. They hated Jesus. They hated what he was doing, what he stood for, what he said. And they were just angry. They were filled with rage, filled with rage and talked about what can we do to get rid of Jesus. Then in the book of Acts, chapter five and verse 17, the Jewish high priest rose up along with his associates and they were filled with jealousy, filled with jealousy about Jesus, what he was doing and the people that were following him and they were just filled with jealousy about him. In the 13th chapter of the book of Acts and verse 45, again it says, that the Jews saw the crowd that was following Jesus and they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming, blaspheming because they were following Paul instead of them. So these are just a few of many examples in the Bible where it talks about individuals who are being filled with jealousy and rage and, and hate and anger and so all of these things. So to be filled with something means to be under its control. Now, Paul in Ephesians chapter five uh, uses an example in contrast. For example, he says, don't be filled with alcohol. Or he says in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine. So don't be drunk with wine, but in contrast, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen an individual who was full of alcohol? whether they drank the wine or the whiskey or the beer or whatever it was, and, and they just get full of it. And so when they are full of the alcoholic beverage, uh, they don't act right. Uh, they talk funny. Uh, they, they may slur, uh, uh, slur their language. Uh, they act differently. They are under the influence of alcohol. And Paul is saying in verse 18, that's dissipation. That is wasteful of your life to do that. Uh, sometimes an individual may be driving down the highway uh, and is pulled over and arrested and taken to jail because he is full of alcohol. Uh, D-U-I, driving under the influence. What is driving under the influence? Influence means you're full of alcohol and you're dangerous. You don't know what you're doing. You could hurt yourself. You could hurt somebody else. So we know what it means to be filled with alcohol and how it affects your life. And Paul says, instead of letting yourself be filled with this alcoholic beverage, this wine, rather he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit take control of you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you with his power, with his presence, and with his influence. There are three things that I want to focus on in developing this idea of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And first of all, I want you to look at, on your outline, the command that is given to us by Paul that we are to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I, I think it would be, I, I agree with those who think that it would be possible and probable that anyone who is not a Spirit-filled Christian and claims to be a Christian and is not Spirit-filled is a defective Christian, a defective Christian. Paul commands the Ephesians Christians, be filled with the Spirit 
and it's binding on all of us everywhere in every age. There are no exceptions to this. We must conclude that since we are ordered to be filled with the Spirit, we are sinning if we are not filled. And our failure to be filled with the Holy Spirit constitutes one of the greatest sins against the Holy Spirit. Now, I've listed on your outline three things about what it means to be filled with the Spirit as far as the command goes. And the first thing is, of course, it, I get kind of technical with you here, but just bear with me. Be filled is what Paul said to the Christians at Ephesus. Be filled. Well, that is what's called the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It's a command. Paul was not saying, hey, I wish you would do this. Paul did not say, let me suggest this to you. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, because we believe that all scripture is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he was speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit and he was saying a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not optional. If you want to be a Christ-honoring Christian, uh, not a defective Christian, uh, then you must be filled with the Spirit. It is a command. Secondly, it is what's called the plural form. In other words, this is addressed to every Christian. He's not pointing to just one person and say, of all the thousands of people there are, you're the only one that needs to be filled. Or just to a group. It is addressed to every single Christian. It's plural form. Be filled. All of you be filled. The third thing he mentions is called what's a passive voice. Well, you've studied English grammar. You know there's an active voice and a passive voice. An active voice is a verb that is used to describe something that I do. I'm active in doing it. A passive voice means something being done to me. And this verb here in Ephesians 5, 18 is in the passive voice tense. It means it's not something that I do. I don't work it up. Um, I, I, I allow it to happen to me. It's something that the Holy Spirit does to me and for me. He fills me with that. There's a fourth one that I failed to put on the outline, and, and, and it's this one, that it is what's called the present tense. And what that means is that this is an ongoing experience. It happens more than once. Now, there's a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens when you get saved. You may not understand it. You may not realize it. But the Bible teaches us that when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he baptized you into the body of Christ. When we baptize an individual, we are symbolizing what takes place when you get saved. You change your life from the old way to the new life, and now you're part of the family of God. That is a one-time experience to be baptized in the Spirit. However, the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing process that can happen over and over and over again. Every day I pray for the Holy Spirit to take control of me and guide me and fill me with his presence. Every Sunday morning and Sunday night before I come out to preach, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit to take control of me, to take control of my body, to take control of my mind and block out the devil from inserting anything negative uh, in my mind uh, that, that the Lord doesn't want me to have. I ask him to take control of my eyes and my ears that I only see and hear those things that the Holy Spirit wants me to see and hear. I ask him to take control of my mouth, my tongue, my teeth. I ask him to take uh, control of my motive, my incentive 
for doing what I do and saying what I say. I want the Holy Spirit to control me as I stand in this pulpit and declare God's word to you. But that's not just exclusively for me. It should also be for every Christian that our prayer would be, God, take control of me. When you get up in the morning and you start out your day, you just say, Lord, take control of me today. Wherever I go, to whomever I meet, whatever I do, whatever conversations I have, just take control of me. Fill me with your presence, Lord. Billy Graham published a book several years ago entitled The Holy Spirit where he talks about his home there in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, where they live, they, their water source is, comes out of two streams that, that come out of the mountains. And, and he says that it is a constant flow of water, that those two streams have never been known to run dry, whether it's in the wet season or the rainy season or whether it is in the dry season, he says it is a continual flowing of water that never runs out and it fills up their water basin to overflowing and they never have to worry about running out of water. And he goes on to say, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You're just being constantly filled with the Spirit's presence and with his power. And it is a command. Now, if it's a command, there are certain conditions that have to be met. So on your outline, I've given you four conditions that must be met if you are to be obedient to this command. Being filled with the Spirit begins with a desire. You have to desire to be, although it is a command, still uh, your, your desire is, is involved. You know, some Christians may say, well, I'm content to be the way I am. I'm a member of the church, but... Uh, I'm not going to get fanatical about it. Uh, I'm here on Sunday because it's the respectable thing to do. Uh, uh, I want to, uh, I, I, however, want, want to leave some options open to me. Uh, if, uh, if I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, some of the things that uh, I enjoy doing, I won't be able to do any longer. Or some of the things that I don't want to do, I'll be challenged and encouraged to do. And so I just want to be left alone. I just like it the way that it is. Well, being filled with the Spirit of God begins with a holy desire to want it. You've got to want it. You've got to have it. Uh, it involves a thirst. On one occasion, as recorded in the seventh chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus stood on the last days of the great feast and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And John goes on to explain under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that what he was talking about was the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you thirsty? You hungry? You want to be fed? You want to be filled? You, you want your, your thirst quenched? Then come to me and drink what I have to offer. Be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 42 2 said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How thirsty are you for God? You get thirsty for water or you get hungry for food. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So how thirsty are you to be filled with the Spirit? How hungry, how, how much... How do you strongly desire this or not? So it begins with a desire. Secondly, it must involve denouncing sin. 
In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So how am I to claim the promises of the Lord? How am I to be filled with the Lord? Then in my prayer time, I simply ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to search me, O God, see if there's any wicked way within me and cleanse me, cleanse me. So you just ask like a giant spiritual x-ray. You just place yourself under the all-seeing eye of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit search your heart and your mind. And if there's something there that shouldn't be, if there's some sin that's unconfessed, the Holy Spirit will convict you of it. He'll prick your, your heart about it and, and, you, and you confess it, you name it and you confess it and you ask God's forgiveness of it. You cleanse your heart so that you can receive the blessing of his filling. The Lord cannot and will not associate with sin. And if you have unconfessed and unrepented of sin in your life, that must be dealt with before he can cleanse you and forgive you and fill you with his presence. You've got to denounce sin and become a clean vessel so that he can fill you. So you desire it. You denounce sin that's in your life that would keep it from happening. And then thirdly, dedicate yourself fully to Christ. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Christ became for us our dying sacrifice he is asking us to be a living sacrifice that comes through a surrender of yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. You give up ownership to your life. Some people say, well, it's my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. Well, you can. That's the free will that God gives you. But if you do, you can forget about being a, filled, a spirit-filled Christian. Many times you can forget about being a Christian, period. If you're hanging on to your sin and you're refusing to repent of it and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Lord's not going to force himself on you. You've got to, you've got to open your heart and you've got to surrender to him. You've got to, just like if you were in war and, and you uh, were conquered, what do you do? You throw up your hands and say, I surrender. Uh, oftentimes uh, earlier in, in my life, uh, uh, when a person like myself uh, answered the re and responded to the call of the Lord on my life to be a preacher, uh, we would use the term, well, I surrendered to preach when whatever age I was or wherever it happened. I, I just surrendered. I, I gave up the right of ownership to my life. And it's no longer my life. It's, it's the life that the, it belongs to the Lord. And I am his. And I release all ownership of myself and I give it to him. That, that's what it means to be surrendered and dedicated to the Lord. And you know, I don't know of anybody to whom I'd rather surrender myself to the Lord. And there's three reasons why. The first one is God is an all-wise and all-knowing God who knows better than anyone else what's best for my life. The Lord would never do anything for me but what it wouldn't be for my best and for my good. And he's all wise and all knowing and he wants the best for me. Secondly, he is almighty and he has the power to accomplish what is best for me. So his power can make it happen. And then the third reason is because he loves me 
more than anybody else could ever love me. And because of that, I want to give myself to the Lord. There's nobody that loves me like Jesus does. My wife, my children, and I love them, and they love me, and I love y'all, and we love each other. But nobody loves us like Jesus does. And so I don't know of anybody I'd rather surrender myself to than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So desire to be filled, denounce sin, dedicate yourself to the Lord, and then fourthly, depend daily on the Spirit. Depend on him. Now, I want you to take your Bibles. You're in the book of Ephesians chapter five. Just go back a few pages to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. We're talking about now depending daily on the Holy Spirit to be filled with him and by him. And in the book of Galatians chapter five, look at verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Same place, keep, skip down to verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, so in verse 16 he says walk in the Spirit, now he says be led by the Spirit, and skip on down to verse 25. In verse 25 he says if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So he says walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. It just simply means you turn again to the Lord every single day of your life. You wake up in the morning, Lord, this is a new day, a new morning. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm turning my life over to you. I'm trusting you to lead me. You guide me, I'm walking with you. You take control of me, you protect me from the devil. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to experience to bring honor and glory to you, I'm ready, Lord. Led by the Spirit, walked in the Spirit, lived by the Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit take control of you. Now, the final thing is the evidence of a Spirit-filled life. If you've done all of this, how do you know that you're filled with the Spirit? Well, I've listed five ways there that you know that you're filled with the Spirit. And the number one ha thing has to do with a boldness to speak. Going back to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine for this is dissipation or a waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another. So one of the evidences of your being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you're going to speak for the Lord. We're going to talk to each other about Jesus. We're not going to be ashamed or embarrassed or hesitate to share with one another what the Lord means to us and what he has done for us. So I am to speak with boldness, speaking to one another. In Acts chapter one and verse eight, part of the great commission where Jesus said, and you shall receive power from whom? The Holy Spirit, and he will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Well, what is a witness? Well, I shared with you before. If you are called into the courtroom as a witness and you raise your hand to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing else but the truth, so help you God. They don't want to hear your opinion. They, they won't say, well, now what do you think about this? All they're interested in is what you heard and what you saw. That's your witness. And when you witness for Jesus, that's what you're doing when you share your message and witness to them. You're telling them what happened to you. What happened, well, what happened to you? How old were you? Where were you? What were the circumstances around your conversion experience? You just tell people what Jesus means to you. 
And when they, it says in Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. The word boldness can also be translated confidence. It just means, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will, if you ask him to, he will remove the, the spirit of fear from your heart. It's not easy for me to witness to people. I find it very difficult to. And, and I know when, when I go to witness to them, I have to be praying all along. Holy Spirit, make the devil leave me alone. Get away from me, devil. I, I talked to the devil like he was one. I say one of y'all. That wouldn't. <laughs> no, that, that wouldn't work, would it? No. I do. I, I, he's real. I, I, in the name of Jesus, get out of here and leave me alone. And and I ask the Lord to help me, and I just tell the devil to. I resist him. Tell him to get away from me and, and remove that fear from me, Lord, and give me confidence to simply share with a person how they might know the Lord Jesus Christ and say, and do so with boldness, do so with confidence. Uh, uh, there's a song written by the late uh, Baynard Fox entitled, I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. Listen to the words. I'll tell the world that I am a Christian. I'm not ashamed, his name to bear. I'll tell the world that I am a Christian. I'll take him with me anywhere. I'll tell the world how Jesus saved me and how he gave me a life brand new. I know that if you trust him, that all he gave me, he'll give to you. I'll tell the world that he's my savior. No other one could love me so. My life, my all is his forever. And where he leads me, I will go. I'll tell the world that he is coming. It may be soon or far away, but we must live as if his coming would be tomorrow or today. For when he comes and life is over, for those who love him, there's more to be. Eyes have never seen the wonders that he's preparing for you and me. Oh, tell the world that you are a Christian. Be not ashamed, his name to bear. Oh, tell the world that you are a Christian and take him with you everywhere. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have the confidence to speak for Jesus. The second thing is, you, there, will, there will be a joyfulness to sing. Notice what he says in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Oh, I love to sing. I'd never sing a solo, but I don't mind singing in the choir or singing in the congregation because your volume quietens and calms out mine, my screeching in my heart. Sometimes I, you know, some people might say, oh, I wish I could sing, and we've heard you. We wish you could too. <laughs> but if you're full of the Spirit, you're gonna be full of joy. I like what, I can't remember the name of the person that said this. He used to be the organist for the Billy Graham uh, uh, Crusade. He made this comment on one occasion. He said, it's not a matter of whether you have a voice, but whether or not you've got a song. Do you have a song to sing? Has Jesus ever done anything for you? Are you full of joy? Joy in the Lord? Let it be known. He says sing in the Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms is the Old Testament hymn book for the Jew. They sing the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are set to music. Many of the scriptures are set to music. And he says, 
make a joyful noise. Sing the hymns and the psalms and the spiritual songs with all of your heart. Put your heart into it and sing to the glory of the Lord. Number three, there will be a willingness to submit. In verse 21 of Ephesians 4, he said, and be subject to one another. Uh, not just wives being submissive to their husbands. It's a mutual submission there. But it's not only a submission of husbands and wives, but in chapter six, he talks about the submission of parents and children. And in chapter six, also talking about servants being submissive to their masters. So there's a mutual submission here and we are to submit to one another and we are to submit to the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth thing is a readiness to share. Not just your witness, but material things here. In Acts 4, 31 and 32, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all things were common property to them. Now this doesn't mean that the communism here where you're forced to take what you have and share it with everybody else. It's all done on a voluntary basis. There were many people in the early church who were Jews and when they were converted to Christ were disowned by their family. They were considered as dead. They even would time, sometimes hold their funeral even though they were still alive. Because if you, if you were a Jew and you became a Christian, they just cut you off. So they had no livelihood. So they were starving to death. No way to support themselves. And so that early church, that was the, the social welfare program, I guess you might say. It, it, much better than what we've got today. Uh, but you, you read in Barnabas, sold some property, brought his money to the church, gave it to the apostles and said, give this out to those who need it. So they shared their material possessions for those who were less fortunate than themselves. They were benevolent in the things that they did. And then number five, there was a commitment to serve. Chapter six of Acts, verse three. Men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can put in charge of this task. Those are one of the requirements of a person being a deacon. The office of the deacon came into existence because of a problem in the first church between the, the Greek, the widows who were Greek and the widows who were Jews. And there was jealousy between the Jewish women who were, who were widows and the Greek women who were widows. And, and so it, it, it was developing into, they were having a big problem here. They could have split. The apostles got the congregation together and said, look, uh, we, could, we could wait on tables. We're not beneath that. I can wash dishes and, 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 and silverware and, and, and I can serve food and do whatever, clean up the kitchen, whatever I need to do. I can do that. But, they said, if we do that, then we're being taken away from what God called us to do. And that is to study the word and to pray. So, lest we be taken away from what God has ordered us to do, then you look from among you and pick out seven individuals who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are full of wisdom, and put them over this responsibility to serve the tables, and then we can do what God's called us to do. It wasn't that they were trying to shirk their responsibilities. They were simply saying, we've got our assignment from the Lord, you've got your assignment from the Lord, we work together and serve one another. There was on one occasion, and I want you to turn your Bibles quickly. I know my time is up, but quickly, uh, we're almost there. Matthew chapter 20. I saw something this morning when I was reading this verse of scripture that I'd never seen before. The disciples are arguing about who's gonna be great. 
in the kingdom of God when he reigns in eternity. And, and the mother uh, of, uh, of the boys, Zebedee, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came and said, Jesus, would you, would you grant my two sons, one to sit on one side of you and the other on the other side of you when you're in your kingdom? Oh, I, I'll show you what I, I came across. Look at Matthew 20, verse 24. No, verse 23, verse 23. Jesus said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. I'd read that many times before, but this suddenly the light came on me and I said, I wonder. He's only talking about two people because how many can sit on his right and on his left and be next to him? Only two. One on his right hand and the other on his left hand. I wonder who's those two going to be? Moses and Abraham? I don't know. Jesus said, it's not for mine to give. That's to be given by the Father. One to sit on my right side, the other on the left side. But then he went on to say, you just serve. I've set the example for you. John tells us in his gospel, he took a basin of water and a towel and he went to each of the disciples and washed their feet. And he said, if I, your Lord and master, do this for you, you ought to do it for one another too. Why did God leave you here when you got saved? Why didn't he just zap you out of this world? Why, why didn't he just beam you out of here and get you out of here? He's left you here for a purpose, for you to serve him for you to be a witness for him, for you to tell other people about Jesus, for you give a, a cup of water or some clothes or food to those who are less fortunate than yourself, but you do it in the name of Jesus, the name of your Lord. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit of God? You become a servant of God. So I ask you, are you filled with the Spirit? Have you given control of your life over to the Spirit of God? Or are you still hanging on to it? Are you still saying, this is mine, this is my life, I'm going to run it the way I want to run it? Well, that's the message of the world we live in. That's what the world says to you. Live it up. Do you do what you want to do? You want to go around once in life, just go, get all the gusto out of it that you can. Whatever your mind can conceive, you can achieve, the world says, so do it. But God says, let me control your life. And you'll learn the true meaning of adventure. The spirit-filled believer is going to have the most exciting, the most adventuresome, the most thrilling life of anybody on the face of this world. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And in John 20, 22, it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Edward Hatch caught that theme and he wrote, Holy Spirit, breathe on me until my heart is clean. Let sunshine fill its inmost part with not a cloud between. Holy Spirit, breathe on me, my stubborn will subdue. Teach me in words of living flame what Christ would have me to do. Holy Spirit, breathe on me, fill me with power divine. Kindle a flame of love and zeal within this heart of mine. Holy Spirit, breathe on me till I am all thine own. Until my will is lost in thine. 
to live for thee alone. May we bow together. Lord, may that be our prayer today for you, Holy Spirit, to breathe on us, to cleanse us, to fill us with your presence and your power. Fill us and convict us until we are completely surrendered to you and dedicated to you to make ourselves available to you, to open up our hearts and our lives, our minds, our bodies, everything that we are, everything that we have, totally unreserved, giving it all to you and asking you to take it and bless it and fill it with your presence and power all to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, there may be some here today who would love to have a closer walk with you and to be filled with your spirit and maybe just where they sit or whether they stand, that they say a prayer and ask for that to be done and it be fulfilled. Or maybe to come here to the front and kneel likewise. But then also there may be someone here today who's never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't know what it is to be saved, but they feel a conviction, they feel guilt, they feel something's wrong. I believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to them, Lord, telling them that they need to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus and trust him. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you will make that possible and a reality in their lives. And that as we give this time of invitation, that they would come without hesitation at all, Step out and step forward and come and let us rejoice with them in their decision. In your name I pray, amen. Andre's going to lead us as we stand and sing and God's spirit leads you, you come.